Welcome to Leading the Next Generation with Tim Elmore. I am your co-host, Andrew McPeak, and our mission here at Growing Leaders is to empower the emerging generations with skills to lead in real life. And Tim, today we're talking about a phenomenon. It's not altogether that old, but some things have changed, and that phenomenon is obsessive thinking. And I think both of us probably grew up with some obsessions that we had. We did. I will confess I was an obsessive young boy. Uh, my first big one, I think, for me was sports, like most boys. Mm-hmm. I fell in love with baseball at in elementary school. And so when I played on a Little League baseball team, I got a uniform. Oh, my gosh. OMG. <laughs> I slept in my uniform. I slept with my cleats. My cleats were next to the pillow, and it hurt when I rolled over, but I thought, this is my uniform. i got to sleep with it. So, I mean, I, I, would, I would wake up in the morning and read the stats from the ball game last night. I lived in Cincinnati, Ohio at the time, so I'd read the Reds, you know, box scores. And Mom would say, oh, Johnny Bench did well. That's great. Pete Rowe, good. Yeah. You're telling good. her all about it as if she yes, cares. as right? if she cared. Yeah. And I, you know what? She cared for me. That's yeah, why she that, listened. But, but I was at, she will, she'd look back and said, you were absolutely obsessed with, with that. But I'm thinking you had your own, didn't you? I did, yeah. Okay. Mine were um, uh, a part of the modern world. We, growing up, I had a group of friends, and we would get together every single weekend in high school especially and we would play halo the video game which is maybe one of the better video games ever i don't know maybe (laughs) kids today would disagree with that but seriously every single weekend we would get pizza and we would get mountain dew and we would play i mean into 3 a.m 4 a.m wake up sleep till 10 or 11 and then start playing over again well the mountain dew caffeine level that probably helps a lot yeah. yeah but i mean if you think about every friday yeah. and saturday yeah. for a large portion of my adolescence uh, that was how i spent my time with my friends yeah. so yeah. I, d- I don't know another way to describe it other than an obsession um, so. so we're living in a day uh, we just illustrated the fact this wasn't just today it was Correct. even back yes. in my day yeah uh, and in your day, but um, we live in a culture today that I believe actually fosters it. I, I don't think it's a conspiracy or uh, a no, no one person's behind it. It's a perfect storm of elements. But thanks to smart technology, you can binge Netflix. You keep scrolling on that social media feed. Yep. Um, if if you don't say no, you'll get the next pop-up or notification or whatever. So it actually feeds our obsessive behaviors. And on top of that, you've got the reality of, of websites like Reddit and YouTube, where one of the phenomenons that's going on is if I am a if I'm a eighth grader, say, and I get interested in a topic, whether it's a video game or baseball or literally pretty much any subject I could think of, I can find, in fact, I have easy access to a community of people who are all just as obsessed as I am. Yeah. And what yeah. happens with a lot of young people is that actually fuels and drives that obsession uh, to deepen. So whereas, you know, in, in generations past, I get interested in a subject, I ask around at school, nobody else cares. Yeah. I, it kind of wanes yeah. over time. Yeah. But if I have access to a community yeah. of people who are talking about it all the time, it just sort of drives and extends that obsession. So smart technology leads to friend groups, which is kind of nice, yep. which often leads to confirmation bias. I'm only in this lane hearing these same things. Yep. I'm becoming obsessive over them. So while I will admit it's okay to be creatures of habit, probably most human beings are creatures of habit. 
it's not healthy to be creatures of obsession. Absolutely. And we see that more and more and more as we work with schools all over the country and really all over the world, Andrew. In fact, you just heard about yeah. a young lady named Kayla. Yeah. She's a member of Generation Z, yep. and she is a perfect example. In fact, she may sound familiar almost yeah. to some people who are listening of what obsessive thinking looks like. Yeah, so if you listeners met Kayla, you would know she was distraught. She smiles a lot, and she dresses sharp, and she makes A's and B's in school, and she's got quite a following on Instagram. Yeah. But when I met her, I assumed she was on top of the world and would have never predicted she was panicking almost every day. Oh, wow. This is those quiet sufferings that yeah. Gen Z goes through that most of us don't even know about. So her mother asked if I could meet with her to talk about getting help. Uh, and it was only um, after I heard the conversation, in a, and it was a hard conversation, that I discovered the root of the problem. She suffered from obsessive thoughts, this mm -hmm. psychological term, obsessive thoughts. Now, let me just give you an example, listeners, for you to kind of hear what we're talking about. So Kayla texted her friend Alex, uh, another female, a girlfriend, who didn't get back to her for hours. Now, mm -hmm. that's a no-no. Yep. Okay. Got to respond immediately. That's right. So Kayla began obsessing over this idea. What if Alex has been abducted? You know, uh, now, yeah. the chances are pretty low, but yeah. she's scared Worst for case her. scenario. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So Kayla realized that this is a far-fetched notion, so she put the thought to rest. But within an hour or so, she soon began to be obsessed over Alex's absence the rest of the day. And uh, bottom line is Kayla couldn't focus on her schoolwork because of her preoccupation with Alex. And it was only because Alex, it wasn't what she said to her, it's what she didn't say to her. So obsessing over people, desires, worries, thoughts, um, is, is just common today. Yeah. And I guess, listeners, we want you to underscore in your mind, this is more common today than it's been, at yep. least from our, from, from, from our look at data. And I think we've got to address it. Uh, we think it's okay to have hobbies and it's okay to, uh, you know, like I said, habits over th are, are normal. But when they begin to, in other words, you don't just have a habit, that habit has you, Yeah. now it's trouble. Yeah, absolutely. And it's worth noting, we're not talking about OCD here, right? Obsessive yeah, right. compulsive disorder. There are actual disorders that, you know, need interventions of different types, whether that's therapy or uh, medication. That choice is up to different folks. And so we're not talking about normal habits. We're not talking about OCD. Instead, what we're recognizing is that there's this increasingly this place in the middle where students are, are not dealing necessarily with some sort of... Uh, mental health disorder yeah, or something yeah. like that, but instead they're just a part of a culture that infuses them to worry and think and yeah. uh, consider what happens. And I don't know if it's from the uh, social media pings that are happening all the time or the movie they watched last night that told them how dangerous the world could yeah. be, but it just causes them to to think yeah. about this. And I think that's a really interesting place that's becoming a bigger, a, a wider group of people who are experiencing that. It is. So let me tell you, listeners, the bottom line of where I'm going to nudge you to in your thinking. Uh, I think it's important that we ourselves and then the young people in front of us we move from a life marked by reaction to one marked by intention. Mm. So reaction is, I am looking at that feed. I am doing whatever Netflix tells me to do next. Or I am, you know, just uh, scrolling through my social media feeds in, in response. But intention is, I'm thinking wisely about it, and I'm in control, not someone else in control. So journalist Renee Fabian um, kind of defines obsessive thoughts. And I want to just give this to you real quick. She says, and I quote, Obsessive thinking is a series of thoughts that typically recur, often paired with negative judgments. Mm. 
Uh, many times there's an inability to control these persistent, distressing thoughts, and the severity can range from mild to annoying, mild but annoying, I'm sorry, to all-encompassing and debilitating. Yeah. Like Kayla, she was, yeah. it was in a debilitating state uh, when, I, when I found her. So these thoughts can be uh, unflattering self-judgment, such as I'm not good enough, to worry over small details like forgetting to turn off, off the oven or lock the door at the house. All of them are, are legit. Like you said, this is not a disorder, but boy, it's reacting instead of intention that, that, that concerns me. Mm, it's true. Yep. So um, what we'd like to do is give you one big idea today hmm. that um, will help you and the students in front of you move from obsessive thinking to objective thinking. You see yeah, what I did there? I like okay. that. Okay. A little yeah. alliteration. That's right. Well, I do my best. <laughs> so obsessive is the life of reaction. Objective is a life of intention. Mm. I'm going to be objectively thinking about this, and I'm going to get off of Netflix when it's time. Yeah. I'm going to get off Halo. Didn't you, when you went off to college, said, I got to stop doing this? T- I did. Talk about that for a minute. Yeah, I did. And I, I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but um, yeah, yeah, there was a moment I had and it was towards the tail end of high school. In fact, I think it actually might have been the summer after I graduated, right before I'm about to head off to college. Yeah. It just so happened that I had played a lot of video games that summer, and then my Xbox broke. If you anybody remembers the Xbox of that day, <laughs> uh, around 2008, it was the white one, and it could get the what, what my friends colloquially called the red ring of death, and it basically meant something has gone horribly wrong inside of that machine, yeah. and uh, it could be expensive to fix. And yeah. what I decided to do was rather than pay the expense to fix it, I thought, you know, I don't really need to have this thing yeah. anyways. And I think as I look back, it was the people around me who helped me see, and probably also looking at a few friends who had not made wise choices, mm-hmm. were obsessive and saying, I don't want to be that, you know. Um, but yeah, that was a decision that I made to hopefully be a little bit more objective and go, is this thing that I've been spending so much time on yeah. going to help me get where I want to go? And the answer was ultimately no. And you went off to college singing with Dr. King, free at last, free at last. <laughs> Thank God almighty, I'm free at last. I I'm- will also point out, I played other ga- other friends' video game <laughs> systems in college, but the important thing is I didn't have one That's of, right. of my own in my own room. That's so, right. Yeah. So here's the big idea, listeners. We'll, we'll, be, we'll be brief with this, but I want you to really consider how could you apply this big idea. And the idea is a psychological term that I've completely bought into. It's helped me, and it's helped me as yeah. I coach students. Mm-hmm. The term is called psychological distancing. Mm. Psychological distancing. So we all know what social distancing is. It's not talking about that. We're, We're very accustomed about, to that. Yes. Th- We're not talking about physically being apart from one another. Qu- quite the opposite. Psychological distancing is the ability to take a step back and reflect on our own circumstances from a more objective perspective outside of ourselves. Um, So Dr. Ethan Cross, PhD, one of the world's leading experts on controlling the conscious mind, says he calls this a a type of internal dialogue, a chatter, but it's you chatting with yourself and telling yourself what to do. So don't just listen to yourself, talk to yourself. I love that. Now, a a quick example, and I'll be brief, but uh, so many times it felt like during the pandemic and the quarantine season we were in, I'd meet a high school student or even a university student Sometimes Division One athletes in college yep. that were just spiraling downward mentally, and I would say, "Now wait a minute. Let me let me talk to you for a minute." And before I would start saying, "What you need to do is blah 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 blah," I would say, "If you had your best friend in front of you right now and they were really struggling, what what advice would you give them if they were struggling? You know, struggling with anxiety or whatever? Yeah. Well, you know, 
students always know the right answer. Absolutely. They, and, and they'll rattle, well, what I would tell her is blah, blah, blah. And after they get done, I start smiling. I say, now, would you go march into the bathroom, look in the mirror, yeah. and give that advice to yourself? Yep. That's an example of psychological distancing. Mm. And we're simply saying, could we help this Generation Z person in front of us begin to do this? Um, so... Yeah. yeah, and you can see how this would be a great combat to the obsessive thoughts, right? The The problem is we're in our own mental cycle. It really is a cycle, a circle of thoughts, of, uh, uh, and you keep coming around and around and around, and the problem is you're not able to see from an, another perspective, and this is why we use that term objective. So what it really is doing is you're exactly this. Instead of taking six physical feet of distance, you're taking six mental steps back from your own self That's and right. saying— let me look at this a different way. And so challenging them with a question like, what advice would you give to a friend yeah. helps their brain sort of turn off from that circle or cycle they're caught in and see it from a different perspective, which is exactly what we want. Precisely. So, Andrew, what we know from scientific research is that taking a step back, like you've just said, leads to a more objective perspective. Yeah. Um, Ethan Cross, PhD, says it's hard to do that when we're so immersed in emotion. Mm. If our limbic system's kicking in and leading the way in our brain, yep. we're just emotional. But, but check this out. In one scientific study Dr. Cross conducted, he asked a group of respondents to replay an upsetting memory in their minds. Mm. And then he asked another group to do the same, except from a bystander's position. You see the difference? Yeah. One saying, oh, this felt awful to me. Now you, I want you to pretend you're a bystander of someone okay. going through that same thing. I love that. All yeah. right? Afterward, both groups were asked to work through their feelings from the viewpoint they took. And while the first group stayed trapped emotionally, zeroing in on the hurt and anger, the second one reported seeing the situation more clearly and said they felt better emotionally. Mm. Amazing. Yeah. So what if we could equip our students to be objective like this? That's He did an experiment that proved psychological distancing really works. I, I want to make a, a quick note here because I think this is so crucial, especially because this idea, the first time I heard it from you was actually when you were writing the pandemic population yeah. book that came out yeah. last year in the midst of the pandemic, because one of the things that we need to realize is coming out of the pandemic, getting back into the quote-unquote normal, hopefully, that we're yeah. returning to with the new school year, I think we're going to find that there are a lot of students who are dealing with this, either because uh, they got trapped into something during the pandemic, you know, whether it's, you know, became addicted to YouTube or whatever it yeah. was, or they're just processing what happened. Maybe the pandemic was especially hard for them and their family, yeah. and they're still processing through things. And so I think for every one of us, we're not asking teachers in, in schools to become licensed therapists yeah, and yeah. practice this, but instead to just... Uh, maybe it, it would be good if we all had the ability to go, you know, what's really interesting about, it feels like you keep coming around to the same idea. I wonder if you had a friend who was going through that, yeah, what advice yeah. would you give them? Yeah. If we could all just begin to practice that, I think it might be a tool that's going to end up being quite helpful in this new school year we're entering into. No doubt about it. So as we kind of wrap this up, let me just talk about why this is absolutely vital mm. to our world today. Um Practicing psychological distancing is not a luxury, in my opinion. It's a necessity. Because we live in a society of instant gratification, let's just admit it, we, it is, and we are materialistic people, by and large. Not, yep. there, there's some exceptions. Yep. In fact, I was just listening to an interview the other day that said there are more 
storage units in America than McDonald's or Starbucks. Oh I mean, we just goodness. have so much stuff. Yeah. We got stuff here. We need places know? for it. That's right. Absolutely. So our brains uh, tend to react more than reflect, as I mentioned before. It's instant gratification. And every message our brains receive from our spinal cord must migrate through the limbic system that I referred to earlier before reaching the frontal lobe. Too often those messages don't get to the rational portion of our brain because we're too busy emoting. Mm. And psychological distance says let's stop emoting all the time, start reflecting, move from reaction to intention, and that's when we get free. This actually produces a sort of mental freedom. Yeah. And boy, am I for that. I think so many kids, this is overspeak, but feel a bit of bondage to an obsession or an addiction or a habit that they don't need to be enslaved to. Yeah. And you, as I understand it, Kayla's been starting to practice some of this. Is that yeah, correct? That's right. She has, in fact, begun to learn the art of psychological distancing. And when I see her, I witness a more steady, level headed, uh, happy teenager. I love it. Who's able to offer wise counsel both to her friends and to herself in the mirror, which I love. I, I mean, she'll chuckle and like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm doing this, you know, but she is. Uh, and I just say, may her tribe increase. Yeah, absolutely. And may we continue to raise up young people from Generation Z like Kayla. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I know the the idea of psychological distancing is incredibly practical, but we want to do one more application because as you and I were talking, we were actually thought of a, a moment you had with your son yeah. where actually if you go back and look at it, even though it was not a pandemic time and yeah. the internet was newer, uh, he was going through a moment like this yeah. and you were actually able to do this uh, with him. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So Jonathan, my son is a 20 something right now. But way back when he was an, a young teen, I began to see some uh, obsessions in his life, and one of them was video games. Yep. So the good news is we, we kept a pretty good eye on what video games he was playing, uh, but it was still like hour after hour after hour after hour. And I just thought, I want some balance. Yeah. I'm not saying what you're doing is a crime. I'm just saying. So we had that rule, you know, every hour that you had on a screen, you needed an hour face-to-face with real people. But the experience you're referring to, Andrew, was I had read an article that I did not write myself. <laughs> it was an article. That's important. That's, <laughs> that's very important when you talk about your own children. Yes. Uh, and it was just data on, on the um, downside of hour after hour after hour on video games. Mm. And it was talking about the addictive behavior that it fosters, but it was very objective. And I thought, um, I want my son to read this. So I said, Jonathan, let's go get a burrito. Um, let, uh, oh, yeah. You know, he's up for that. Teenage boys love language. That's right. That's exactly right. I don't care what we're talking about. If a burrito's in the sentence, I'm, I'm in. there. Yeah. So we go out, we, grab our, we grab, grab our Mexican food, and I said, hey, while we're talking today, or you know, while we're eating our burrito, uh, go ahead and take a bite, but I want you to read this short article. It's just a page and a half. And he read it. Now, remember, he's a young teen, so he's not reading research-based articles right now, yeah. okay? But he reads it. And he's just working through his burrito. And by the time he's done with the burrito, he's done with his ar- ar- the article. And I didn't have advice to give him. I just said, what would you see that stood out? Well, he was amazed at what was happening to his brain in a, in a sort of an addiction or a potential addiction. Mm-hmm. And I said this very thing. If it was someone else, what do you think you'd do? Well, Dad, I'd tell him to stop it because I don't want anything to go wrong. And I just shrugged my shoulders. Well, it was almost like, well, well. And you know what was so fun? I hope I can say this without getting emotional now. What was so fun by the end of the lunch was this young kid 
probably 12 or 13 years old, uh, as we were walking out, said, Dad, I think I'm going to cut back mm. on video games. And it, was, it wasn't that the world transformed before my very eyes, but I thought it was his decision. Yes. It was his intention. Yep not reaction. Yep. And he owned it. And it wasn't me just now, what you ought to do, as I point my finger, uh-huh. what you ought to do is stop watching, playing so many video games. Yep. It was so much better. And he and he stuck with it. He still enjoys them, but it's very much in moderation. Yeah. Just like I'm sure you have things in moderation yeah, in your absolutely. life. That might be another podcast for another day. <laughs> yes. But um, listeners, I just want to encourage you, this is possible. It is possible to not only do this ourselves and practice what we preach, but to really help Gen Z get this psychological distancing. Let's make intention, not reaction, the marker of our life. I love that. I love that. And we're not just looking at him and going, quit obsessing. But instead we're saying, what if we saw this from another perspective? That's right. Well, thanks so much, Tim. Uh, If you are out there and you're looking for ways to have conversations about perspective, and really that's what we've been talking about today, obsessive thinking occurs when you don't have perspective, especially perspective outside of yourself. And perspective taking is one of the sub-competencies of social-emotional learning. If you're looking for a way to communicate or teach uh, the students you lead in whatever context about this really important life skill of perspective taking, uh, we have a resource that could work really well for you. It's simply called Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning. We have a middle school edition and a high school edition, but it's a really great way to communicate life skills in a way that students are interested. So we actually use pictures, metaphors, and stories to communicate really interesting ideas and build life skills that we know are going to help them succeed in life. So if you want to find out more about Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning, uh, both middle school edition and high school edition, you can head on over to growingleaders.com slash SEL to find out more about it. We actually just launched the middle school edition, so it's brand new with some really cool videos and exciting activities uh, and other things. So we want to invite you to check that out. It's growingleaders.com slash SEL. Well, as always, if you would rate this podcast, give us five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. That helps to get the word out about what we're doing here. And then, of course, if you found this helpful and you want to share it with somebody, we invite you to do that. Pass it along to a friend who you think might find it uh, useful or helpful. Uh, if you uh, would like to connect with us on social media, we are at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore, pretty much everywhere you are. And then finally, if you have ideas for this podcast, whether it's people you think we should interview or uh, articles you find that you think we might find interesting, or just ideas you want us to talk about, shoot us an email. It's podcast at growingleaders.com. We love getting those. Tim, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next time.